0: that was very brave of the young woman and her mother who bought the bookstore and we're looking at ourselves as sort of three generations olivia one of the new owners is only 25 and her mother is 50 ish and i'm 75 ish And there you have it. So I'm the grandmother in this operation now. (laughs) Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey and Patty Callahan Henry along with Ron Block as novelists we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us
1: and I am Ron Block please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing if you love books and are curious about the writing world you are in the right place Welcome to another episode of the Friends in Fiction Writers Block podcast. We love exploring all aspects of the reading and writing world, and today is no different. We have the honor to speak with one of the brightest connectors within the writing and reading world. I am Ron
2: Block. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And Linda Ketron, our guest today, is owner and manager of CLASS, C-L-A-S-S, a multiple pronged literary and arts mecca on Polly's Island, South Carolina. She wears multiple hats, as we will hear. In fact, the last time I saw Linda, she was wearing an elf hat. We'll hear more about that. (laughs) And and she has become known far and wide for being a huge ally to authors as well as readers. Linda, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's great to have you here.
2: It's good to be here. (laughs) Although I don't know where we are. (laughs) We're in, the, we're in the inner space, right, Ron?
1: Right. Oh, excellent. excellent. In retrograde.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Better than
1: outer space. <laughs> yes.
2: So let's start in the beginning, Linda. How did your path lead you to being the amazing icon you are today? What were your early passions that drove you to this address? Reading,
0: reading, and reading. Like so many of the authors that you have, and so many of the people who attend the Movable Feast, Friends in Fiction, all of these wonderful library events that are offered, um, reading is the link among us all. And that was no different for me. I loved reading as a child, went on to English major because... I said, well, this is great. I can just read. I don't have to do calculations or scientific experiments. I could just read and read some more. So that, that was the educational background, and I expected that I would be teaching, but it didn't turn out that way.
1: It didn't. it didn't. Well, I guess we're all the better for it, from what I hear. That's, <laughs> Absolutely. It's so great to meet you today. I've heard so much about you for so many years from all of these amazing authors and people that attend your events. So it's it's my honor here to have you here today. Thank you. I am most intrigued by your class organization, what I've been reading about it. Can you tell us about each of the parts of that and, and how they all came together? Because I know that's quite a story.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, class started the acronym stands for community learning about special subjects okay. because essentially the world is my oyster i can <laughs> i can do anything i want everything is a special subject so when it began i was a volunteer for the local library my husband and i had moved here from new manhattan and I volunteered at the library. And what I found were there were so many retired women, educated, interested in so many things, active, involved. And there really was not that much beyond Mahjong, bridge, golf for them to do. And so I began Little classes, I investigated people who came to the library and who might want to teach something that they knew. And we had Polly's Island is quite the destination for retirees. And so we had university professors in all manner of subjects and fine artists and wonderful musicians. And I started putting together courses and borrowed space here and there, and finally had a space of my own. And the one of the classes that I put together was called The Movable Feast, because Hemingway is a favorite of mine, and I love his collection of short stories, The Movable Feast. And so I partnered that with the local restaurants, most of whom closed the day after New Year's, they closed for two or three months, and they went south. They went to Florida with you, Kathy, and, and absolutely escaped. And the place was dead as a doornail. There weren't, there was no place to eat. There was no nothing to do. So I put together interesting people in the community, some of whom were authors some of whom were musicians, some of whom were historians. Um, And we would go, I I set it up as a six-week class, and for six weeks, every Friday, we would go somewhere to one of the restaurants that we convinced to stay open and serve us, and we would listen to a talk, and then we would all eat together. And I still have a few people who are coming to the feast, who came 25 years ago to that very first one in 1998. But they loved it. And so we expanded that, and it got bigger and bigger. And a couple of years later, it was every Friday, year-round, and I was running out of people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not a huge community. So um, we were really... We were reaching far afield. We would even asked some of my husband's um, theater people to come down from New York just to entertain us. So the upshot of that was that the little local independent bookstore, the owners sold the bookstore to a new couple, Tom Warner and Vicki Crafton. And Mary Kay knows them well, very well. And so Tom was really handling the bookstore part of it. And he said, you know, I could get you some authors. I've got contacts with all of these publishers and agents, and perhaps you should just let me get you the authors and you continue to plan the events and deliver the events and we'll bring the authors in and we'll be happy to sell their books. And I said, well, that sounds good. He said, but... I don't want you to do musicians and people that don't have books because there's nothing in it for the bookstore. I said, okay, we'll do that. And that was Tom. He was always looking at the bottom line. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> and so we we did do that for a very long time. That started in 2002. And so this is 20 years later. And I'm still partnering with Litchfield Books. After Tom passed about seven years ago or so, his wife Vicki took over and she became the contact with all of the publishing houses and the publicity agents and whatnot. And she invited the authors and she had a particular interest in nonfiction. So we had quite a number of It really was like one of my courses again. We had a lot of nonfiction authors who came through. But that wasn't necessarily the population, what the population wanted to hear. They really loved the entertainment aspect of it, that fiction, imagination, fantasy, all of these things give the readership and an audience. And so... We did another five or seven years with Vicki, and then she sold the bookstore only to, only last May, right in the plunk in the middle of the pandemic. I thought that was very brave of the young woman and her mother who bought the bookstore. And we were looking at ourselves as sort of three generations. Olivia, one of the new owners, is only 25 And her mother is 50-ish, and I'm (laughs) 75-ish. And there you have it. So I'm the grandmother in this operation now.
2: (laughs) Who was uh, Linda? Do you remember who your first author was for the the Movable Feast?
0: Alberta Quattlebaum. Not a name that everybody knows. I was Al- trying to think. I don't. <laughs> I know that this one. Is not a, but that was so many years ago. So, Alberta Quattlebaum wrote as her master's thesis a book about the plantations on the Waccamaw Neck called the Georgetown Rice Plantations. This was over 50 years ago, probably 60 years ago. And from that book was created the plantation tour for for the Prince George Winyah Episcopal Church in Georgetown. And every year she would edit and revise and update and when the plantation sold and some new person took it over and said they were going to restore everything and she would watch them. And she would report on it in the book, and it got. I think it had seven editions. Wow. Probably, wow. probably sold probably hundred thousand books because yeah. because she it has. I mean, it's had a lot of years. It's sort of like wow. a Bible. It's sort of had a lot of years to sell. But Alberta, we link that together with the tour itself. So often we would have um, we would have Alberta come. And give a little talk, and then um, people right. would go on the tour.
2: Right? Who was your first novelist? Who was your first big name? I mean, other than me,
0: <laughs> other than you. Yeah, you're not. You're not that old, so you can't have been my first one. Oh, honey, you <laughs> um, don't
2: even know. <laughs> I don't.
0: You know, I uh, honestly, I figured out that we've had over twelve hundred presentations. Wow amazing. and at least seventy-two thousand people have attended these. That's just taking sixty people as an average attendance. But we did fifty a year. There were only two, we would only miss two Fridays every year, so it was fifty presentations. Average of 60, but we've had some that had 360. Delia Owens and um, Eben Alexander, these two people had 360 people stuffed into the ballroom at Polly's Plantation. So, and some just have 30 there. I mean, we we still bring poetry books in, people with sort of tough subjects. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a good way to put it.
0: Yes, tough subjects.
1: What about the makeup of the audience? Has it changed over the years, or has it been consistently the same type of people that attend the events?
0: Well, there are more and more people who are doing this as a group activity. At the beginning, it really was an individual, often a widow, who didn't know what to do with herself and, you know, wanted to share her interest in reading and what she had read. And so we would have those and it would be mostly those people, um, mostly women. Uh, But as time has passed, there are in this small community more than 60 book clubs. And... It's a lot lot of book clubs in a small, we have maybe 10,000 people in the area. So um, lots of readers and they are, they tend to be in these communities developed all at the same time. People would come down from New Jersey and then all of their neighbors would retire down from New Jersey and they'd all get together. They'd have a book club, they'd have a bridge club, they'd have a golf game. And, that now the the book clubs come as groups, and we often I've I've had as many as three tables full, so thirty people from one book club that are coming to see Mary Kay Andrews, for example. Right.
2: But now you sometimes get the gentlemen too. I mean, usually yes, usually it's a lot of ladies, but. I always tease the uh, gentlemen that they're the um, sole rooster in the house.
0: Yes, yes,
2: <laughs> yes. We do get we do get fellas, and, and you plan event and you plan events also to draw sure. more audience. Can right. I talk about that? Well, we've had people
0: like um, Rick Bragg, and um, I love Rick Bragg, I love Rick Bragg. Also, Wiley Cash has come. We've had. Oh, there have just been a bunch of them. Christopher Dickey brought a ton of people when he came oh. with his book. Um,
2: by the way, hmm? I said, for those who don't, maybe the name doesn't mean anything to him, that's James oh, Dickey.
0: James Dickey. James Dickey
2: for the, the Deliverance. Yeah, that's his. Yeah, son. yeah,
0: yeah. So we had like Robert Jordan, he brought a lot of men in. Pat Conroy, of course. Of course, Pat. Always everybody mentions patnib and he he was you know just a universal that everyone loved him and came john meacham i'd say john meacham brought the largest cohort of males to one of these and um he was excellent as well so i i would say that my intent really was to provide quality education and quality entertainment and quality passing of time because for some of us, we found that retirement has gone on entirely too long. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We we had plenty of time in there for a whole second career and should have done it. And that's where the Movable Feast actually evolved from all of these classes that I still have some of the classes on in art and retreats, women's retreats. Mm -hmm. I have a number of things like that that are still going on. But it did move into another career for me, which was publishing. And there were at any number of these events that we would have there would be people that would ask questions of the authors. How did you get your agent? How did you get published? How did you get to anybody's attention? And they would say things like, I'm 63. I have one book. I have tried and tried, and I can't get anybody interested in me. And so I started saying, well, I'm interested. What have you got? (laughs) And, and, one of the things, a couple of friends of mine had books that they had shopped around, and they said, I don't have enough time to do this. One of my authors is 90. Oh, wow. Two of them are 87. None of them is younger than 50. And what they have is something that means a tremendous amount to them. Right. They aren't, they've done that, you know, the career thing, they're primarily retired and they ha- they either have loved mysteries all their life and took a crack at writing it and think they did a pretty good job. And so they don't want to go through the 720 rejection slips in a drawer that, A 22 year old is willing to do because they know they've got plenty of time out there to pursue it. So I started publishing the first two books I published were one was a novel about the South. Called Waccamaw Gold. And it really was about the one percenters before people were all writing about the one percenters. This was about eight years ago. And it's very good. We've gone into a second edition of it. And the author is working on his, um, on the follow up, the sequel to it.
2: You want to say, Linda, why don't you tell us the author's name so our listeners, if they want to, can look it up and. They can. They can, I will tell
0: the author's name. It's William Woodson. Okay. I call him Billy. And Billy Woodson lives in the upstate and used to live down here and worked at Coastal Carolina University and at Brook Green Gardens and at, you know, a number of places around right. here. And this is really a wonderful book. I, I recommend it.
2: <laughs> can, can they? Can they? For instance, can they order it from Litchfield Books? Or yes, or all, they, of book, all of my
0: books. All of my books can be perfect. ordered from Litchfield yes. Books. Great.
2: Yeah, that's something yes. that um, people really want to know. And they, of course, we at Friends and Fiction. Part of what we're about is, uh, as you are, as fostering our love of our indie booksellers. So Ron was going to ask you about the movable feasts. I he hasn't been to one, and I have. So oh. hit it, Ron.
1: Hit it. Well, I I have heard about this for so many years, and it's my goal to get to one, but I haven't yet. Um, but tell me what goes into it. What are the steps? What are what are all the moving parts that come
0: together? Oh, moving parts to make it happen. <laughs> well, the bookstore essentially has contacted the publicity agent or the publicity agent has contacted the bookstore, or as you know, the publishers send out these grids and the grids are sent about three to six months ahead of the release of books. So they've marked off all the people that they want, um, they would like to come for a feast. And then slowly they start filling in, the schedule. So we usually have uh, reservations made for authors three months at least in advance. I know that Olivia is already working on some that are in October because um, with COVID, people are knowing far and far in advance when they're going to have their next book out. And so they're nailing down um, dates for presentations. So once Olivia tells me the date and the author, then I look up the author, I find out what I can about the new book that's coming out, and get an estimation from their past. If they've, if there's somebody that's come to us before, then I know what kind of a crowd they attract. And if it's brand new, I look at, you know, bestseller, debut, what kind of reviews they've had, and try to match uh, one of the restaurants. And I've got um, about 16 to 20 restaurants to pick from. That's one of the key things. There have been a lot of people who have wanted to do this somewhere else, and what they don't have, there are a couple of things they don't have, but one of them is a lot of really great restaurants that are closed at lunchtime, that are open to having people come with a party, and that have parking. I don't know how important parking is, but it wouldn't work in Manhattan. It wouldn't work. It doesn't work in Charleston. Charleston can do this once a month, once or twice a year. They just can't pull it off every Friday without fail. And some Tuesdays, because we we get so many now that we are adding Tuesdays. So this week, we've got Fiona on um, Friday, on Tuesday. Oh, Gads. Did you say Jillian Cantor? No, he had Jillian Cantor. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. But um, um, we do have, well... I can't even remember. We were just calling today for all the people to make sure that they didn't have COVID and that they were wanting to still come. So, and then the following week, we have Tuesday and Friday and Tuesday and Friday, and it goes like that.
2: Now, this is your season. Is that right, Linda?
0: Well, this is not. This isn't really the big season. The big season is, well, half of March, the second half of March, around Easter time, March and certainly April, certainly certainly May, and definitely June. I mean, and then it tapers off a little bit in July and August, and then the historical fiction starts up when school starts. It's an interesting, you know, linkage there.
2: Do you have any idea how many people you have on your subscription list or on your mailing list? Because I know that your folks are are just so devoted to um, the series.
0: Well, I have over 10,000 um that's larger than the population of our area but that's because of all the snowbirds we get you know Canadians and you know but that's the mailing list and I don't do mailings anymore I do emails so of the emails that I have are over 5,000 I have 5,000 so usually every Oh, I'd say once every month or six weeks, we send out an update because there are changes. And with COVID, there have been a lot of changes. Lot both, of changes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the restaurant, the staff is all down with COVID. We have to move it at the last minute. We did that with just this last week we had to move, but it worked. <laughs> so <laughs> we have about 5,000 that I send out notices to.
1: So how does one, oh, I don't know, maybe me, get on that list?
0: You just tell me your email address, and I will put you right on it. I have your email address. I'll put you right on it, and you'll get it every time.
1: Good, good, good. It's now a bucket list
2: (laughs) event for me.
0: Oh, it doesn't need to be that.
2: Now, Linda, do you work with Litchfield on, do you ever say to them, you know, I know that our folks love such and such author, or is it usually the bookstore that says, Linda, here's the authors that we want to have. Do you have some say in that?
0: Yeah, I have some say in it. Certainly with my own authors, I've got 40 now that I've published, 40 books that I've published. So when I've got somebody that's got a brand new book out. I've got a book coming out um, very soon on Francis Benjamin Johnston's Carolina. Francis Benjamin Johnston was the premier female photographer in the 1930s. And all of her photographs are in the Library of Congress. And they... They, she has been utterly ignored, while all of these male photographers have gotten great accolades and retrospectives and wonderful shows and books about them. Well, Bill, ba- William Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, and Bud Hill from McClellanville um, have pulled all of these photos of Charleston, Georgetown. Camden and the environs. So it's a lot of uh, photography that she did during the WPA. And so she was sent here from Washington, D.C., where up to that point she'd been busy photographing the presidents and the cabinets and the Supreme Court and dignitaries. But she was sent to do architectural photographs. So, and The copy that is used in the book is the WPA's Guide to South Carolina from 1934. And it's so dated, but really sweet. It's It's really, fascinating. it's wonderful. So I get these kinds of projects that are, you know, as they said, there's nobody wants to publish this book. But we want it published. We think she deserves her due, and I do too. So we're publishing the book. And, That's awesome. And well, that brings
1: up a question, though. Like, what, what is it that you look at when somebody approaches you about, about publishing their book? What is, what's the criteria that you...
0: Well, at this point, I've found that most of the books are going to be about South Carolina or the South. And although I'm... A Westerner, I'm from um, Oregon <laughs> originally. I've lived here for 35 years, and I I can see there is a heartbeat that is just either these authors have it or they don't have it, right. and right. and what they bring to me. I'm just looking at my bookshelf over here because it, it's loaded with all of these books that they have written about. One is called Polly's Island, an old man's love story. And this is Robert McAllister, goes by Mac, Max 87. He has spent 70 summers on Polly's Island. He built the last pavilion. He was the designer of the last pavilion that was built on the island. He... He's just an amazing person. And uh, that's what I, I guess I just look for heart. And I would say none of them has let me down. They're all beating strongly.
2: <laughs> that's and awesome. Just, and is one of the things you look for an author's personality so that they can help you once the book is out, sell it and publicize it? Does that matter that a to <laughs> I probably should have. <laughs> it helps if they're alive.
0: Yes, they are all alive. That's good. Check. check. The thing is that, is, that is my weakness in my publishing house. I will give you a beautiful book. It will be edited to a fairly well. I have a group of people, photographers, illustrators, because I had an art gallery for 25 years, wonderful editors, both copy and proof. And they're all volunteers. We're all volunteers. Right. And that's what we, nobody's looking for income from this. We are looking to get the best possible product that we can out for the author. And it's great if they've got the personality to promote it. It is most helpful because I just want to move on to the next book. I I don't have a big marketing arm, which is why you've got to make, you've really got to want, just want to have the book published and in your hands to come to me.
2: Okay, let's go back for a minute to the movable feast. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear some stories, memorable moments, good moments, bad moments, favorite surprises. Can you kind of give us a, a Thumbnail, best of, or worst of? I
1: like the worst of part. Let's go. (laughs) I would never
0: say the worst of it. (laughs) I'll tell you the best. I'll tell you the best. Okay. Okay. The very best was a woman, an author named Bren McLean. Bren McLean wrote a book. I know that book. One Good Mama Bone. Right. And... When I read her bio and everything, I asked the restaurant that we were going to to fix a vegetarian meal because I saw that she was vegetarian, that she, this book was how a cow literally brought her full humanity out. And it is, it's a life-changing kind of book. It's wonderful. And when she came... She burst into tears when they brought us pasta primavera because she said, I have never gone to an event where we weren't being served some kind of meat. And so that to me was just a huge plus. Now you want the worst? I can't think of a worst. (laughs) I can't think of a worst.
2: Well, you had to do a lot pivoting and stuff like that in the past. Oh,
0: here was a good pivot. We we had a woman author um, whose name now I don't recall, Naomi, Naomi something, who was coming from Savannah. And when she reached Highway 17, she turned south instead of north.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And,
0: And she called us and she was, Way too many hours away to get to us in time for the feast. And she said, I don't know what you're going to do. And I said, well, we'll have to do something. And I flipped open my little book of local authors. And I said, geez, I haven't leaned on Mickey Spillane in a long time. (laughs) And he lives just up the street, or lived just up the street. And I called Mickey, and I said, Mickey, can you come entertain some women for about, oh, just about an hour, and then I'll feed you. And he said, I'll be right there. Oh, (laughs) my
1: God, I love it.
0: And it was magnificent. He, He sailed in with stories about the jaguar that, uh, John Wayne gave him.
2: I thought he gave him a. Uh, I thought he gave him. What did he call it? A redneck Cadillac, which was actually a pickup truck.
0: No, well, maybe he gave him that too. But he had a Jaguar that wow. he, which he left out in his yard through every climate change, <laughs> every hurricane, and it was the cat house. It was the house for all of his feral cats, and they oh. lived in this Jaguar. So. But he was so entertaining and what a charmer. Just, I mean, oh, he was in his element. Loved having all these women doting on him. It was great.
2: I did the book and author luncheon in Charleston and Mickey was, was uh, you know, that they do like four or five authors. And Mickey had the longest line. All those women wanted to talk to Mickey.
0: And they all said, I'm just getting this for my husband. Yes. I just need <laughs> you to sign this for my husband.
2: Yes, he is. Yeah, he's what a personality.
0: Yes. Oh, totally,
1: totally. Yeah. Well, Linda, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I wish we could do this all day. But when I come to the Movable Feast, we're yes, going to spend yes, some yes. time together. Yes. Because there's you're like a human card catalog. <laughs> I, I love it. You have so many connections and everything you've done is just so crazy. But I, and I'll tell people that I have the list that you sent me of all yes. of the books that you've published and all of the upcoming things. So when we publish the podcast, oh, we'll also post that too. So oh, people wonderful. will have thank access you. to that. Good. So what a community gift you are too. Just all of these things you, you do for people. It's it's inspiring, and no wonder people have told me all over all these years <laughs> how much they love you.
0: Oh, thank you. You have a free seat. You have a free seat at the author's table. Which turns out not to be that big of a deal because the author's always in there signing books. She's not actually, she or he is not actually sitting at the table with you, but you get the author's table when you come on.
1: (laughs) I heard you have this up and coming author named Mary Kay Andrews that might be there soon.
0: Yes, yes. yes. But you know the deal,
2: you know the deal is, Ron, if you sit at my table, I get your dessert. Yes. I'm okay with that. I have (laughs) sat
1: at your table before.
2: (laughs) You definitely have.
1: (laughs) have. Anyway, thank you again so much for joining us, Linda, and for all you do for the literary and creative world. And really, you are the ultimate author ally and the beacon (laughs) for others, I swear. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Linda. I can't wait to see you in May.
1: (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yay! And thank you all for tuning in. It's just fantastic when we get a glimpse into worlds that we don't often think of in the publishing world. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening. As always, please tell a friend. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends and Fiction Writers Block podcast guest, past and present, in the Friends and Fiction dot org shop all sales placed there help to fund friends and fiction and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide since its inception bookshop.org has raised more than 16 million for indie bookstores shop small shop local from the convenience of your screen with bookshop.org and tell them friends and fiction sent you thank you for tuning in to the friends and fiction writers block podcast Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode.
0: And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.
2: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.